A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Levy, former Fox News and CNN HLN guy and current cable news conscientious objector. I'm a former libertarian who now sits pretty comfortably on the left. Hi, I'm Danielle Moody, former educator and recovering lobbyist. But today, I'm an unapologetic woke commentator on America's threats to democracy. And I'm producer Jesse Cannon, and I'm here to make sure things don't go too far off the rails. We're here to have fun, smart conversations with some of the most knowledgeable and entertaining people in politics, media, and beyond. Our goal is to try and make sense of our current crazy world, our new abnormal, and hopefully even make you laugh through the tears. Hello, and welcome to another Sunday bonus episode of The New Abnormal. And we thank you so much for being here. Today, we have an extra special guest with Abraham Josephine Riesman, who's the author of Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmaking of America. And despite this book being about wrestling, we're going to talk about all its weird political entanglements. But first, let's have some fun. Are you guys ready to listen to some clips? Clips, yes. Hell yeah. Clip me. Okay, a new culture war just dropped. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Representative Debbie Lesko, but she's in the running to be one of the new dumbest members of Congress. I know it's a stiff race <laughs> these days, but she's got an entry for us today. Let's hear her out. So when, when you take a look at all of the millions of people in America who have and rely on a gas stove to cook their nightly meals, breakfast, whatever, and all of the restaurateurs who say gas is the best, you can think that there's a lot of people in this country who are probably remembering the old Charlton Heston line, you can have my gas stove when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> I love that saying. Yeah, maybe I should put that in my uh, talking points for my legislation. Um, but anyway, they're, not, they're not stopping on gas stoves. They're going after washing machines now, too. So I'm going to do legislation on that, too. I'm going to fight back against these crazy rules. Coming for your washing machines. I know this, that the washing machine thing became a thing like for a day, I thought. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's another one of these stupid things. Like there's some idea of making some little change to washing machines to make them more efficient. And like the companies who make the washing machines were like, yeah, this won't affect how they work at all. As usual, it's such a nothing thing but it becomes this rallying cry and this war cry. And these people are just, Danielle, I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, they're just <laughs> dumb. And you're making Andy sad. OK, <laughs> so I need for people like the only talking point that Democrats need to use in response to their fuckery is like Republicans just want you to spend more money. That's it. Because everything that is being offered is about efficiency energy efficiency so that your energy bills go down republicans don't want that for you period i like that yeah that made me less sad <laughs> good <laughs> there's another culture war though where do you find this jesse it's called twitter <laughs> the place where we it. all rot our braids all day and we'll be soon talking about the other place we rot our braids later in the show yes okay the war on milk oh my god john joyce is going to tell you all about it Bones, muscle, brain, and vital organs all rely on products like whole milk for healthy development. The whole milk that cannot be re replicated by inadequate imitations that are found in plants and in nuts. Our students deserve better than these fraudulent products. 
and we cannot allow almonds or soy to be passed <laughs> off as dairy to American families. It is time to ensure that whole milk is once again available in every school cafeteria. It is time to pass legislation like the Dairy Pride Act and the Whole Milk for Healthy Kids Act that will support, support families, support the growth of students, and support our dairy farmers. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I yield. I thought at first he was doing the Trump cognitive test. What do you say like that? Muscles, bones part. I thought that was that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. All this reminds me of, and I, I'm sure both of you will, will agree, a bunch of years ago, a couple of years ago, DC Comics had a uh, series called Milk Wars mm. uh, that involved the Justice League and the Doom Patrol and others. And in that, there was an evil corporation that wanted to use the radioactive milk of psychic cows to sort of make the Justice League sort of more compliant. Oh. Yeah. So anytime people start talking about milk, I always, as, as I'm sure all three of us do, think of the Milk Wars comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, written, by the way, by Gerard Way, uh, better known as the oh. perhaps the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, uh, with art by Steve Orlando. But look, I don't care what kind of milk people drink. I don't know when, like, this, the whole soy thing that has become, you know, sort of endemic on the right, where that's soy is some kind of sign of weakness and soy boy is a thing. No idea where that came from, what the idea behind that is. Why do I care if you drink milk from a cow or milk made from a plant or from a nut or from a legume or from a piece of cardboard, if they could get milk out of that somehow. I don't care. Everything about this, it's just every day there's a new phony war in this country. And the real wars are bad enough. The actual shooting wars, the drug wars, whatever war on we've declared this day, you know, or yesterday that is just going to make things worse, probably. But they have to come up with fake wars? I, I don't understand. Why do they care so much about it? Because then it just adds to the era of distraction. Yeah. Right? So let us be angry about milk instead of the fact that we won't pass legislation to make sure that your children actually stay safe in schools and aren't gunned down by mass shooters. Let us be angry about gas stoves so that you don't recognize that we keep giving tax breaks to the rich and that's the reason why you can't like put food on your table. Let's just make shit up. And like, let's just face it, doctor or not, this guy is in the bag for the dairy farmers, which I'm sure if you look at his fucking donations, that's where most of his money is coming from. None of this has anything to do with the health and well-being of children. And I'm just so tired of kids being weaponized by this vapid fucking fraudulent ass party. It just gets on my nerves. I don't care what kind of milk you want to use. You want to have cardboard milk, soy milk, almond milk. I don't give a fuck. But I know that whole milk, not that good for you as you get older. Right. It isn't. It's been proven by science, but they don't believe in that either. I know. Yeah, Joyce is from Pennsylvania, which sort of at first I figured he was from Wisconsin. But I think Pennsylvania is either the second or third largest dairy farm state in the country. So it still makes sense. And everything you say about uh, him being probably a shill for the dairy industry is, I'm sure, correct. Okay. One Laura Ingram, Fox News host. She has some advice for how Mr. Trump can win. So I'd suggest talk less about yourself, more about the American people. You meant a lot of them. Voters don't want a replay of the greatest hits about Mueller or Adam Schiff. 
but they do want you to assemble the most talented advisors and probably best to treat them well. Surround yourself with givers, not takers. Serious policy people who know how to hit the ground running on day one. No more travel ban fiascos. Run a tight ship. And run against the Democrats, not the media. We all know the press is biased, you know, newsflash. Don't dwell on it. Deal with it. And maybe, just maybe, drop the nicknames and the petty personal stuff. It was funny in 2016 and even in 2020, but I don't think it works with how serious the challenges are right now facing the country. I sense that the voters are weary of all of that stuff. So debate your opponents on the merits. You know the issues. You have a great record. Defend it. Who is she talking about? <laughs> I don't know, I'm so it's confused. Very clearly not Donald Trump. Because <laughs> she lost me at you have a good record. Defend it. I didn't know who she was talking uh, uh, about. She lost me at talk less about yourself, <laughs> which I think was the first fucking thing which she I think said. She was, I think it was the first thing she said. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had relationships where we've tried to change somebody that we thought we could fix them, but this is literally the worst instance I've ever seen. Hey, 79-year-old man, be the exact opposite <laughs> of who you've been your whole life. Yeah, and, and, I, and I know that America will buy it this time. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and thinking that he, he knows the issues, and yeah, the thing about having a great record, but what it's just every part of that was hilarious. What issue does he know? I really would love to know what issue Laura Ingram thinks that Donald Trump knows that isn't about Donald Trump. Ketchup, Diet Cokes or McDonald's, because, you know, that was the one thing that he did get right when he went to McDonald's the other day and said, I know this menu better than you do. I bet you do. I bet you fucking do. The umbrage I have to take. There's only one good thing about Donald Trump, and it's the nicknames. Jesus, Laura, let us at least have those. Well, look, that's very clearly she just doesn't want him to give nicknames to DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all that is. Like, she couldn't care less if he came up with nicknames for anyone else. But that, to me, is that that that's all she's saying there is don't go after DeSantis. Okay, we got time for one last one. Talk about someone other than yourself. I can't get past that. <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if y'all are familiar with Kat Kamek. She's a backbench congresswoman from the free state of Florida. <laughs> and she has some thoughts on TikTok. TikTok is doing nothing more than uh, harvesting data of Americans all across the country. And we've seen how they've used that data to target journalists, to target minors. And then, of course, we will prove that this is, in fact, digital fentanyl, that this is harmful to children, that this is not just music and dancing and filters. This is actually a way for people to groom children and to target children for nefarious purposes. Digital, digital fentanyl. fentanyl. <laughs> That's yeah. where we're at. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! I, how do we feel about that? Like, like Danielle, you and I are creating the digital fentanyl. Andy, I know you consume a lot of the digital fentanyl. I do. Yeah, I mean, my withdrawal symptoms are fine. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to be able to shut down the app, no problem. <laughs> that's just, you know, clearly that's just me. This is the new crack cocaine. I don't disagree with some of what she's saying. And, you know, TikTok did go after journalists and it apparently used keystroke loggers to see what they were typing on their devices. And shit like that shouldn't be allowed. 
And yes, there are national security issues. We've talked about this. But as you've said many times, Danielle, this is also, you know, Meta does this mm-hmm. probably better than anyone in the world. We're not going after them. And ain't nobody calling for Instagram or or Facebook to be shut down. Yeah, it's I mean, we have actual evidence of Facebook interfering in the 2016 election with their disinformation campaigns that they have allowed to run and continue to run. And so you have Elon Musk that took over Twitter. The man is a transphobe and a homophobe, a misogynist and a racist. And nobody said, oh, you know, we should really think about that in allowing that to happen. And so, yeah, are there important things that China, I'm certain, is doing with TikTok? Yeah, there's also a lot of fucking things that we know that are happening with the tech companies that are owned by, quote unquote, Americans in this country that aren't serving our democracy either. So, I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So if you're going to go after one, go after all of them. And that's the thing. Like, if you want to spotlight just the national security implications of a country like China doing this, fine. Have a hearing on that. But if you're going to bring up this other shit without mentioning that there are all these other social media networks that do the exact and non-social media networks like Google that do basically the same shit, then you're wasting everyone's time. I, I, I mean, just concentrate if there's if there are real national security issues here, concentrate on those. Because the other stuff is, and it's bad, it's awful, and it's the reason I dumped Instagram. But it's being done across the board. So you can't single out TikTok for it, I don't think. Yeah, I I agree. But digital fentanyl, you know, bravo. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say this. like that, that They really got to stop with the everything's fentanyl. You know, I saw a TikTok to make this very meta the other day. And it was a kid being told by the nurse they're about to give him fentanyl after a car accident and he wanted to run away from her. And I think uh, that might be because we call everything bad fentanyl these days. Yes, 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 we do. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Abraham Josephine Reisman is the author of the highly acclaimed new biography of Vince McMahon out March 28th, entitled Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmaking of America. She's also the author of True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee, which is one of the best biographies I've ever read. Josie, thanks so much for being here. Aw, that is so sweet of you. It is so great to be back. I'm always pleased to speak with you, even though I've only done it once before, but I- I know, I but we're one for one. So hopefully we'll be two for two. We're one for one so far. Let's see, see if we can do it. Yeah. And look, if we don't, 500 is still a pretty good average. Yeah. Hey, a ball <laughs> player would kill for that. So it sounds great. Exactly. Okay. So there's a treasure trove of unbelievably fascinating stuff in this book. And I say this as someone who I've told you this before. I generally have no interest in wrestling, but there's stuff in there about Vince McMahon's childhood, how he rose to power, how he and his company, WWF 
took what had been regional entertainment under many management umbrellas and ruthlessly consolidated it so that one company, and more to the point, one man, Vince, pretty much controlled it all. But being a political podcast, I'm going to jump ahead and focus on, you know, the political stuff. Fantastic. So you write that for Vince and his wife, Linda, deregulation was their true induction into the world of conservative politics, which I thought was interesting. And then somehow pre-member of Congress Rick Santorum entered the picture here. (laughs) Yes, he did. So let's flash back to the mid-1980s. Vince is on the rise. He's based in Connecticut, his company, but he has been conquering much of North America with his efforts to destabilize and overthrow the National Wrestling Alliance, which was the sort of cartel that ran wrestling back then. And one thing that was very true in that cartel was you didn't mess with politicians. You kind of tried to keep wrestling away from anybody who might do something drastic. And for a long time, wrestling was predicated on the public lie that everything you saw in the ring was real. So that's all a way of saying the National Wrestling Alliance had not made any real effort to get lower taxes and fewer regulations in their dealings. But Vince, when he took over his father's company and then started this march of conquest, he decided, he and his wife, Linda, who, whose influence should never be underestimated, decided that paradoxically, the way to get treated seriously as a real company in corporate America, as opposed to sort of a backroom operation that's very secretive, was to paradoxically become more fake and acknowledge that fakeness, even if it was only meetings with legislative bodies or in lawsuits, if it was advantageous to them and they could be taken more seriously by government and corporate partners by saying, hey, you know, we're all in on the joke. This stuff is fake then they would do that. And deregulation was a key component in that shift. In 1985, Vince throws the first WrestleMania, which has since become this sort of national institution of wrestling. And the first WrestleMania was a huge success. And around that same time that it's getting built up and then actually launching, Vince is covertly pushing in the Connecticut legislature and then elsewhere to get wrestling deregulated. Now, it had previously, because of that fiction that everything you saw in the ring was real, it had previously been regulated by athletic bodies in states. So, you know, you had to meet certain health and safety standards and you had to pay certain taxes. It's it's pretty simple, but it was it was already a pretty lax system, I should say. There was not a whole lot of strict enforcement, but even that was too much for the McMahons who thought, well, let's do what business people do. Let's let's self-regulate if we can so we don't have to pay out or worry about too many eyes on what we're doing. And so they lobbied hard in Connecticut and their big strategy there was saying in these legislative sessions when they would appear, hey, this is fake. You know, they would say it not in so many terms. They would say it's like the Harlem Globetrotters or the circus. That was their comparison point all the time was like, right. it's real athleticism, but it's mostly a show. And eventually, this sort of gets them into conservative politics because, I mean, well, for one thing, the essence of conservative politics in America, or at least one of its pillars, is deregulation. That will give you those bedfellows if you start playing with that. 
sure enough, when they were doing this deregulation effort, when they were pushing in Pennsylvania, they encountered a young lawyer at Kirkpatrick and Lockhart named Rick Santorum. Rick Santorum at this point had been like a college Republican and uh, had worked for a congressperson, but this was him trying to really build out a law career. He worked with the McMahons on this deregulation effort in Pennsylvania. They wined and dined legislators and regulators and admitted that the thing was fake, which is something that Vince's predecessors in the industry never would have even imagined doing, telling a politician hey, all this is fake. That would have been completely unthinkable. But it was very lucrative for Vince. And in fact, that illusion of fakeness, uh, I say illusion of fakeness, it's, it gets very layered. I hope not to confuse people, but that has been really useful to Vince because not only does he get to be like, oh, well, take me seriously because I'm in on the joke with you, but also once you have that layer of just kidding, then... A lot of people in powerful places don't look too closely. They go, oh, the product is silly. The product is fake. So how dangerous can it be? And then a lot of bad things can happen in the darkness. Boy, that sounds uh, like it doesn't not have parallels to our current political situation. No, absolutely. I mean, I can draw them out if you like. I want you to, but not quite yet. Okay, go on. I want to build to that. There's a structure to doing an interview, Josie, and I don't think you've quite learned it yet. I know. Take me. Teach me your ways. It's a pyramid. It's a pyramid of interviewing. (laughs) I just made all of that up. Okay. Before we get to all of that, I want to talk about a gentleman named Donald J. Trump. I'm familiar. Yes. Yes. You call in the book, you call McMahon the closest thing to a friend Trump has. And that dates back to, I think it was 1988 and WrestleMania 4. Yeah. So Vince and Trump have been close since the 80s. I've had trouble determining exactly what their first meeting was. The people in Trump world didn't know and Vince wasn't talking to me. So I don't actually know when they first met, but by the time of WrestleMania 4, which is, I believe, 1988, and Trump had this hotel and casino in Atlantic City. And so the story goes, one of Trump's deputies was on a panel at some conference with one of Vince's deputies, and they got talking and thought, hey, wouldn't it be whiz-bang if we did a partnership? And sure enough, what ended up happening was Trump was billed as the host of WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5. Both of those were held in Atlantic City, and they were ostensibly held, according to the title cards and announcers, at the Trump Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. Of course, this was all a lie. It was not happening there because that place could not have accommodated WrestleMania. They were at a place that actually could, a convention center right near the hotel and casino. But be that as it may, They did these two WrestleManias where Trump was a huge player. He wasn't wrestling, but he, and he wasn't in any of the storylines, but him being the host in 88 and 89 was a big deal. He was still a hot commodity. I mean, his hotel and casino went bankrupt a little after that, the one in Atlantic City, but at the time it had the the illusion of wealth and prestige. So he would do these little appearances where he'd say, you know, we're so honored to have this WrestleMania and everybody tried to get it, but we were the ones who got it. And eventually that builds out into a friendship and an ongoing business relationship where Trump would appear at wrestling events for the WWF and do little spot interviews. And then eventually, most importantly, there was this partnership between Vince and Trump 
in 2007 that took the form of this wrestling storyline where Vince and Trump were mortal enemies all of a sudden. They had once been friends and now they were turning on each other and sort of fighting over who was the better billionaire. And they had this match at WrestleMania in 2007 called the Battle of the Billionaires. And it wasn't them wrestling per se. It was two proxy wrestlers with them at ringside. But there was all this buildup. And there was at least one moment where Trump, you know, did a clothesline on Vince. And that gif has been much used by horrible alt-right people subsequent to that when they just put things on the face of Vince. Then by 2017, Linda McMahon is becoming, you know, a cabinet member under Trump. She was the director of Small Business Administration. And then she right. used that to go run the biggest pro-Trump super PAC in 2020. They have a very real and substantial relationship, the McMahons and the Trumps. And, you know, I, I spoke with Sam Nunberg, who worked on the first Trump campaign. And he would say that, and he told me rather, that um, Trump had only two people in the world whose phone calls he demanded to take in private. Because usually Trump likes the hot dog. He likes to put people on speaker right. and say, you know, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me, you know, whipping this person. But there were two people, at least as of the campaign, that he would speak to only in private. And that was Mark Burnett, the producer of The Apprentice, surprise, surprise, and Vince McMahon. And as far as I can tell, the family relationship is still there. You know, I don't know when they last spoke. I don't have a bug on either of their cell phones, but I do believe that that relationship is still in existence and probably still pretty robust. And then they also they they have sort of a Saudi connection that binds them together with absolutely with Mohammed bin Salman al Saud. Right. We talked about this a little bit last time. But, yes. You know, there is this ongoing deal that. WWE, which is what it's called now, has with the Saudi government as part of the Saudi government's Vision 2030 initiative, where they host wrestling shows in Saudi Arabia pretty regularly. And most importantly, WWE gets a lot of money for it. I mean, this is a publicly traded company. You can look at the finances. They get tens of millions of dollars for each show that they do. And it's a huge part of WWE's operating budget. And that partnership is very problematic politically because it was happening. You know, they started it before Trump. They did like a couple little scattered shows that weren't televised in Saudi Arabia. But then this big effort where they're going to have pay-per-views of the Saudi shows and it's going to be this big to-do, that all happens in 2017 under Trump, meaning Vince McMahon is doing enormous business pretty much directly with the Saudi government while his wife is a cabinet member in the Trump administration. Like every Saudi expert that I spoke to about that deal said, I am sure it was about currying favor. It was not just about currying favor. They also got good PR out of it and it's good bread and circuses for the populace. But it's almost certainly a case where they were not, not interested in you know, being friendly with the McMahon family, who one of them is a business leader and the other one was a cabinet member in, in the finance sector. She wasn't, you know, right. the in charge of some unrelated department. It's the director of small business administration. This is somebody who actually has influence on this stuff. So it was a very problematic thing and nobody really called them on it in any kind of consequential way. But, you know, what else is new when it comes to the Trump administration? Even if you call them on it, they don't actually face consequences. 
Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about a term you use early in the book and then come back to much later, neo-kayfabe. And I believe it's a term that you have uh, invented. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a variation on an existing term, kayfabe, but yes. Sure. So kayfabe is the term that was used to describe the idea that basically that wrestling was real, that it was unscripted. That these characters were really themselves and all of that stuff, yeah. Exactly. But as, as you write in the book, and as you said earlier, McMahon himself pretty much killed this as a concept. And so you've coined this new term, neo-kayfabe. So what is it? And feel free to make the political associations you alluded to earlier. Sure. Yeah, no, I would love to. As you did, by the way, in a great New York Times op-ed. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. In brief, neo-kayfabe is different from kayfabe in that Kayfabe was a big, flat, solid, comforting lie, which was everything you're seeing in the ring is real. Even if you didn't really believe that, it was comforting that the lie was simple and it was something you could sort of suspend your disbelief about. But once Vince killed Kayfabe through that deregulation effort that I spoke of, wrestling was left a bit naked. It didn't have the same kind of drawing appeal because that suspension of disbelief no longer made any sense. There wasn't any truth to be found. You watched these matches, but it was just fantasy now. There was no way you could sort of convince yourself that maybe it was real. So what Vince ultimately codifies, although he doesn't invent it, is this concept of neo-kayfabe, which nobody calls it that except me now. That's not an official term, but it describes the phenomenon where you don't tease people with, hey, everything's real here. In fact, you start with the assumption, hey, everything's fake here. Like, don't worry, everything's fake here. But guess what? The two guys who are having the match tonight, they actually hate each other. And one of them might really hurt the other in the ring, so you better tune in to see that. There would, Or, or even better, yes, everything's fake here tonight, but, you know, the guy who's going to be cutting an evil, you know, monologue out in the ring, he's kind of a drug addict. So maybe he might fly off the handle and like say some stuff he shouldn't say about what happens backstage. This kind of teasing that you would see some kind of forbidden truth or forbidden real action on television was what got people to come. So all of a sudden it was not a big flat solid lie. It was this like surface of slippery beach balls that you're trying to walk across where you have some truths that are so obscene you never thought they'd be said on television, some lies that are so outrageous that they could never possibly be true and yet everybody's committing to them, and a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. And that confusion was what drew people to wrestling. And it still is. You know, they don't mess with reality quite as much as they were doing at the turn of the millennium, but wrestling's appeal now is that you watch it to decode it. Like either decode it in terms of, oh, I'm going to appreciate the artistry of what these people are doing in this fake thing, or more often, I'm going to watch because I think something crazy might happen and I want to be able to see it. And that appeal is something that is so resonant now in politics. Wrestling was doing it before politics, but now we have this political neo-kayfabe where you have people in the Trump vein who get up and say this wild mix of unspeakable truth and total falsity and a lot of stuff in between, and you say it all with an equal level of commitment. And that baffles people. And when people are baffled, they don't tune you out. In fact, they tune in. As long as it's scandalous and thrilling, 
they will tune in to figure out, to try to figure out what's real and what isn't. The brain gets very caught up in this process of trying to fit something into the bucket of either true or false. But it's kind of a false binary. And when somebody figures that out and is able to give an audience a big, you know, mix of all of those things I mentioned, then the human brain in the attention economy starts to glue itself to that show. And Vince doesn't do it quite as well as he did at the turn of the 90s, or rather the turn of the millennium, the end of the 90s. But that period at the end of the 90s, turn of the millennium, I think was enormously influential on the way politics is conducted today. It really is incredible. And and it puts me in the mind of sort of a QAnon thing where like... Yes, absolutely. You know, Trump will give a speech and he'll offhand in the context of something, throw in the number, I'm making this up, 23. And you'll see all these QAnon people going, oh, here's yep. what he means by 23. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, no, QAnon is always the example I go to. QAnon and Russiagate conspiracy theorizing. Those two things come from the same impulse as watching a neo kayfabe moment in wrestling. You really want to decode and parse out what is true and what is false, and what the real story is. And unfortunately, there are people who have figured out how to sort of hack that human impulse and throw you enough red meat that you start to think there's a bigger story there and that you're uncovering it. But in fact, very often that story is either something that you're just delusional about or something that is a narrative that was manufactured for this very purpose, manufactured so that you as the consumer of this information would be going, oh, I've figured out a secret and I've figured out what's really happening behind the scenes. And no one gave me this. I just figured it out. But very often it is something that someone gave you. You just don't realize it. And then you're in the palm of that person's hand. It's a very insidious process. Yeah, it really is incredible. And it just feels like we've moved from, you know, everyone always used idiocracy as sort of the template yeah. for the times we're in. And it sounds like I'm going to now coin a word since Apparently, that's Ooh. what we're doing these days, Josie. Yeah. We're in a neo kayfabocracy. Yeah, yes. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Before it gets better, yes. <sighs> I know. So, no, I, I have so much more I could talk to you about this book, which I absolutely adored, but I am out of time. So I just want to, again, let our listeners know the book is Ringmaster, Vince McMahon and the Unmaking of America. Like, don't be put, if you're not a wrestling fan, don't be put off by this. It is an absolutely fascinating portrait of a man who, as I, th I think Josie has shown in this interview, a man whose success is intertwined with where America has been heading for the last several decades. Josie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it was such a pleasure, and it's so nice to hear you say those nice things. Ringmasterthebook.com is where you can find a, a pre-order link. Beautiful. Hope you enjoyed checking out this episode of The New Abnormal. We're back every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend and keep the conversation going. This podcast is a Daily Beast production with production by Jesse Cannon and Seamus Calder. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.